0: Good morning, my Oikos family. Good Not good enough. Good morning, my Oikos family. Thank you. This is Palm Sunday when we celebrate Jesus' triumphant entry into Jerusalem. They were considerably happ- happy than, happier than you all. So, a little more energy, please. How tremendous it is that God speaks to us in songs. My wife and I and our kids were at Jason's house on Friday as he and Adrian wrote that song. Uh, And the Lord truly has spoken through them. Every week, Jason and Ashley have written new songs. And every week, the Lord has spoken. And that is tremendous. Can we give them a round of applause for listening to what God has to say? He has blessed them incredibly, and they are using their talents. The Lord is using their talents to speak through song, and it's incredible. We thank you. God also spoke in song through King David. Jason read a little bit of the psalm we're going to talk about today, uh, and I'll read a little bit more with you. Let's turn to th- Psalm 37. If you've got the paper Bible, it's almost smack dab in the middle, back towards the front just a tad. And we're going to start at verse 1. Fire up your smartphones and Let's rock and roll. Psalm 37, don't worry about the wicked or envy those who do wrong, for like grass they soon fade away, like spring flowers they soon wither, trust in the Lord and do good, then you will live safely in the land and prosper, take delight in the Lord and he will give you your heart's desires, commit everything you do to the Lord, trust him and he will help you. He will make your innocence radiate like the dawn, and the justice of your cause will shine like the noonday sun. Be still in the presence of the Lord and wait patiently for him to act. Don't worry about evil people who prosper or fret about their wicked schemes. Stop being angry. Turn from your rage. Do not lose your temper. It only leads to harm, for the wicked will be destroyed. But those who trust in the Lord will possess the land. Let's move down to verse 18. Day by day, the Lord takes care of the innocent, and they will receive an inheritance that lasts forever. They will not be disgraced in hard times. Even in famine, they will have more than enough. Verse 23, the Lord directs the steps of the godly. He delights in every detail of their lives. Though they stumble, they will never fall. The Lord holds them by the hand. And finally, verse 39, the Lord rescues the godly. He is their fortress in times of trouble. The Lord helps them, rescuing them from the wicked. He saves them, and they find shelter in Him. I've really enjoyed this walk through Psalms because I've seen new things. The Lord has spoken new things. And the theme, one of the themes that I see repeated over and over and over, in, particularly in David's Psalms, is to be patient Trust and give thanks. Reflect on the psalm for just a second. Psalm 37, it's all over. Be patient, trust, give thanks. Psalm 37 is a psalm of David. And Jesus tells us in Matthew 22 that David writes these psalms under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. The third person of the Trinity, God himself, is speaking through David. His words are, echo through eternity they are as true for the old testament hearers as they are for the new testament world of jesus and for us today and i want to show you how those words echo throughout eternity as we journey through a little bit different part of scripture a little bit different part of biblical history let's turn to the luke chapter 19 it's a little bit more towards the end of your bible luke one of the four gospel writers. He was not a disciple himself. Uh, He was more of a historian. We're going to go to verse 28. And this is the story for uh, Luke's account of Jesus' triumphant entry into Jerusalem. After telling a story, Jesus went onward toward Jerusalem, walking ahead of the disciples. As he came to the towns of Bethphage and Bethany on the Mount of Olives, he sent two disciples ahead. Go into that village over there, he told them. As you enter it, You will see a donkey tied there that no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks, why are you untying that colt? Just say, the Lord needs it. So they went and found the colt, just as Jesus had said. And sure enough, as they were untying it, the owners asked them, why are you untying that colt? And the disciples simply replied, the Lord needs it. So they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their garments over it for him to ride on. As he rode along, the crowd spread out their garments on the road ahead of him. When he reached the place where the road started down the Mount of Olives, all of his followers began to shout and sing as they walked along, praising God for all the wonderful miracles they had seen. Blessings on the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in highest highest heaven. But some of the Pharisees among the crowd said, Teacher, rebuke your followers for saying things like that. He replied, If they kept quiet, the stones along the road would burst into cheers. There are three facets of context that I want to share real quick. So we're going to get a little heady just for a little bit. Bear with me. It's hard for me not to be. Three facets of context. Facet is a face. If you imagine you're kind of looking at a jewel, right, and you look through it, it's like a prism. So we're going to look at three different facets of context. The first is in verse 30. This is where Jesus says, go into that village over there, he told him. As you enter it, you will see a young donkey, a colt. Tie it there that no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it to me. If anyone asks, why are you untying that colt? Just say, the Lord needs it. The focus here is the colt that is a young donkey, specifically one that had never been ridden. Recognize what it is that we're talking about. So uh, there were no cars. There was no public transportation. You either walked or you rode a camel for very long journeys or donkeys for short journeys. A burro a donkey was also your, your plow for small plots. You use a bowl for larger ones. Uh, it was also your method of getting your goods from place to place. Bethphage is only about a half mile outside of Jerusalem, a major commercial center. So a donkey, and mind you, this is a colt, not just a donkey. So uh, this colt has never been ridden. This colt has zero miles on it. So it is a new donkey, has lots of life left. It is a work truck with no mileage. A very valuable thing. This was not a 96 Honda Civic. It was a 2016 F-150 work truck. Okay? That is a very valuable thing that Jesus asked his disciples to go steal. He didn't tell them to ask. Right? Remember, do you remember that part? He just said, go untie it and bring it to me. And if anyone asks, just say, the Lord needs it. And by the way, the Lord here is not Jesus of Nazareth. It's the, the Greek kurios, which just means master. Right? So an unnamed master needs your donkey, and then just take it. The second aspect of context, the second facet that we're going to look through, uh, is there in Verse 32. So they, the disciples, the two unnamed disciples, went and found the colt, just as Jesus had said. And sure enough, as they were untying it, the owners asked them, Why are you untying that colt? And the disciples simply replied, The Lord needs it. The disciples were not highly educated people. We know this because had they been, they would have been chosen to follow a rabbi, a teacher, somebody in the religious order, Remember that, that uh, Israel at this time is a theocracy. Theo meaning God, cracy meaning government. So it was a government run by the religious leaders. There was no separation of church and state. They were the same thing. And so if you were to participate in government, if you were to participate in, in religion at the time as a leader, you would have been chosen as a young child to follow in the footsteps of a rabbi or a teacher. These guys weren't. They were fishermen. They were farmers. They were tax collectors, outcasts, not learned people. They did not dress like somebody who could walk over to a a colt, untie it, and just take it away because they need it. These were roughneck, blue collar, probably quite dirty from their long journey fellows, right? And so they just walk up and start stealing a donkey. You might think okay, so they're rough. Uh, They have no authority, no apparent authority. They're not wearing the robes of the Pharisees or anything that might signify that they have the authority to take this donkey. So maybe it was a little bit more like a carjacking, right? A couple of rough guys come up to you next to your vehicle and say, the master needs this, right? Probably not a carjacking, though, because we have to understand who these folks were. The disciples, not learned people, also were not yet spiritual superstars. The Holy Spirit had not yet descended on them. That would be the day of Pentecost. It happens after Jesus' resurrection. And in fact, to this point in in biblical history, these guys had tried miracles and failed. They asked Jesus the same questions over and over and over again. And at one point, Jesus actually says, how long am I going to be with you? Because they just didn't get it. These were not rock stars. So... They didn't swagger over to the donkey like John Wayne squinty-eyed and all rough and say, I need that donkey right there. He didn't, that's not how it happened. Instead, it's very likely they approached with fear. And I, I had to guess, actually, that it wasn't a bold walking through town to go untie a donkey. It probably was a little bit of, is anybody looking? You go get it. No, you go get it. I don't think he's looking. Quick, go. Right, something like that. This was not, they were not approaching with confidence or boldness, uh, or if they did, you could probably see a little fear in their eyes. The third facet of context, we're going to look at verse 29. Hi, Levi. Uh, Verse 29, as he came to the towns of Bethphage and Bethany on the Mount of Olives, he sent two disciples ahead. What I want us to focus on here is the towns that we're talking about, Bethphage and Bethany. And I've I got to do a little bit of history to really understand, the, to, to describe the context here. So this is one of the accounts in the New Testament that is actually repeated in at least three of the four Gospels. And, and almost all of them are verbatim. Uh, a couple other Gospels put a little bit more detail into where Bethany and Bethphage are. Uh, so imagine, if you will, for with me that downtown Houston, the mecca to oil that we have, right, is Jerusalem. Okay, and imagine heading west along the Bayou, the wonderful Central Park of Houston that we have. Bethpage was west about a half a mile. Actually, it was east, but imagine it's west. West about a half a mile from downtown Jerusalem about a mile and a half further west from that. So in the, in the Houston context, it'd be right about where the Federal Reserve building is, uh, right there at Taft. Uh, so traveling on the Bayou West. If you keep going about another mile and a half, so roughly uh, Allen Parkway and Shepherd, that kind of area right in there, right, that would be where Bethany is. So in order to get into Jerusalem, Jesus is going to go from Bethany into Bethphage and then the short half-mile jaunt into Jerusalem. Bethphage is a walled city. I mentioned the Federal Reserve for a reason, right? It's a very fortified building. Bethphage was outside of the city walls of Jerusalem, but itself was a walled city, which is really important in these days, right? If you want to protect yourself from all these other warring tribes, you build walls. If you don't have walls, you are screwed, right? So Bethphage is a walled city, very important, It's only about a half mile outside of Jerusalem. It was built entirely because it served as the second meeting place of the Supreme Court of Jerusalem called the Sanhedrin. Remember I said that Israel is is both uh, the religious and political organizations are the same. There is no church and state. So this was the Supreme Court not just of the legal law but also the religious law. And they met In They decided all kinds of things that were or were not against or for God's law, the law of Moses. Incredibly important. In fact, from some of my reading, Bethfish only existed because it was the meeting place of the Sanhedrin. That's the only reason it really existed. Small town, and it existed only for that purpose. Much like Washington, D.C., but on a much, much smaller scale. If you took the government and all the agencies out of Washington, D.C., there'd be nothing left. It'd be a little swampland. That's about it. Bethphage was the same way. At this point in biblical history, Jesus had performed a lot of miracles, and he had already been talking about this concept of the Messiah, as Jason talked about earlier, the one who would rescue Israel from the clutches of the Romans and free the Jews. So he was already known as a troublemaker because he would replace the Sanhedrin. He would be a new king and there'd be no need for the supreme court of Jerusalem. So let's make some sense out of these three facets. I want you to imagine, if you will, in your mind's eye that you are the owner of the colt, the owner of the donkey, okay? So you're minding your business, in your little itty bitty government town of Bethpage, and a couple of guys, looking a little rough, confident but also a little scared, stealing your Colt, stealing a very valuable possession. And you begin to assess the situation. Time seems to slow down as your adrenaline starts pumping because somebody is stealing something from you and it's very valuable. If you've ever sat in your car and a scary person walks up to the side, your heart starts to pump. Imagine the same thing is happening. And your gaze moves over three different places. The first thing you look at as these men are approaching and untying your donkey The first place you go is to your donkey. It is your livelihood. It is your means of providing for your family. It is your transportation. It is probably the most valuable thing you own. But you're not afraid. Because you know God is good. And you don't need to worry about where your money is going to come from, how you're going to provide for your family, Because you know that God loves you and he will provide. So you have no fear because you trust in God's goodness. You find your satisfaction in him and not elsewhere. Your gaze shifts upward slightly and you make eye contact with the disciples, the culprits. They say nothing. They give no reason for what they're doing They don't look like important people. They do look a little rough, but they're not carjackers. And yet, even though these are a couple of nobodies and you have no idea what's going on, you have no desire to know. You have no desire to control the information, to make an educated decision, because you trust in God's greatness. So you don't have to be in control. And the sense of peace comes over you. Then your focus shifts from the disciples to what's beyond the disciples. The city walls and the council hall of the Sanhedrin. Because you know who... You you suspect you might know who these guys are. And if you know, that means you you know that he's a troublemaker in the eyes of the Sanhedrin and by giving him this donkey because you know about the prophecy in Zechariah that Israel's king will come on a colt then by giving this colt away you will have facilitated Jesus' treason against the state and blasphemy against God the Sanhedrin are not going to be happy as your gaze locks on the, the council hall in which they meet. But God is glorious, and you know this. His glory radiates so brightly that when you put Jesus next to the Sanhedrin, it's so bright you can't even really see the Sanhedrin because you trust in God's glory and you won't fear the Sanhedrin. This peace comes over you. So you give a nod, and they take off with your donkey. For this to have happened in the way that Luke tells us, it was a miracle. It was a miracle because of where it happened, because of how it happened. It's a miracle because this guy didn't object. The owner of the donkey didn't object at all. He said nothing. And the only way that could have happened is if the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, God himself stirred his heart and he was at peace. God showed up and it was a miracle. This is earth, however. It is not heaven. And we've had, many of us have had experiences where somebody prays over you and your, your heart feels something different that you've not really felt before. That's the Holy Spirit. You've lost something, you've lost a job, you've lost something, and miraculously, you're provided for in some way that you couldn't have fathomed ahead of time, right? We've, ex- we've had these experiences, we live together as family, many of us, so we talk about these things, but this is earth and not heaven, and the magic of those miracles starts to fade, And the question is, what? And we start to, to, to almost plead with God to return your presence to us, because it felt so good, unlike anything you've ever felt before. But the magic begins to fade. For this man, the owner of the donkey, I believe the magic of this miracle, because I do believe his heart was stirred. The magic, I believe, started to fade about as soon as he got home. Hey, honey, I'm home. Have I told you lately how beautiful you are? Oh, that smells great. What's for dinner? What did you do? Oh, nothing. Nothing. No, everything's great. Honey, what did you do? His wife sticks her head out the door, out the window, because they don't have glass, right? So they stick her head out out the window. Where's the colt? uh, gave it away. I'm sorry, you did what? Yeah, I uh, I gave it away. God God told me to give it away. Uh-huh. So when Eeyore over there keels over, what are we going to do? Oh, it'll be okay. Care to share how? Nope. Funny, though, that may be his trouble gets a whole heck of a lot worse. I mentioned that the Sanhedrin, the Supreme Court of Jerusalem, met at Bethphage, where this guy probably lives, right? It exists only for this meeting place of the Sanhedrin. Folks, it is the Sanhedrin who sentenced Jesus to death. It was his donkey that Jesus rode on. He doesn't have his donkey anymore. Maybe he got it back from Jerusalem. Maybe he didn't. But this is a small town. Everyone is going to know it was his donkey that facilitated the thing the Sanhedrin convicted Jesus of and later asked Pilate to crucify him for. His punishment, the testing of his faith has just begun. As this week progresses he is going to be tempted and tested as much as Peter himself. If Peter denied Jesus only three times, this fella is going to be tempted to deny him more than that. And I have to believe, being a good Jew, living in a very religious place, that Psalm 37 brought this man peace. I want you to listen to Psalm 37 now understanding a little bit more about what happened that day. Put yourself in the shoes and in the mind and the heart of this man. Do not worry about the wicked or envy those who do wrong for like grass they will soon fade away like spring flowers they soon wither. Trust in the Lord and do good. Then you will live safely in the land and prosper. Take delight in Take joy in the Lord, and he will give you your heart's desires. Commit everything you do to the Lord. Trust him, and he will help you. He will make your innocence radiate like the dawn, and the justice of your cause will shine like the noonday sun. Be still in the presence of the Lord and wait patiently for him to act. Don't worry about evil people who prosper or fret about their wicked schemes. Stop being angry. Turn from your rage. Do not lose your temper. It only leads to harm for the wicked will be destroyed. The Lord rescues the godly. He is their fortress in times of trouble. The Lord helps them, rescuing them from the wicked. He saves them and they find shelter in him. Speaks a little differently, doesn't it? Be patient. Trust. Give thanks. Imagine that you were asked, that your heart was stirred and you had to give away your, your work truck. Some here are experiencing layoffs. I understand Chevron's going to announce a, bi- a bunch of them here pretty soon. Other companies are doing the same. People you know are probably going to experience the stress of a layoff, even if they aren't themselves, their coworkers will be. But be patient. God will provide. He may want you to experience some things first. But be patient. The Lord will show up. Trust in God's goodness. He loves you very, very much. He will provide. It may not look exactly like what you're asking for, but He will provide. Open your minds and your hearts and trust Him. And above all, give thanks. We live in one of the richest countries in the world, and we here have a family on which we can rely. We call our church Oikos, which is Greek for family, because we really are serious about that. We share each other's stories. We support each other. We are the hands and feet. We are the body of Christ. Let us give thanks for that. Maybe you've experienced rejection by your family, by your coworkers. You live life a little differently. You're not spending as much time with them as you used to. You do odd things like step aside and ask people if they would like to be prayed for at work during the workday on the clock. Your boss might not appreciate that. But be patient. Because God loves your boss, and your family members as much as he loves you. And he has a plan for them as well. And their hearts may turn toward him as well. So be patient. Trust in God's glory so you don't need to fear others. And above all, give thanks. Give thanks that you have the freedom to pray with people. Give thanks that you have the relationships you have And you don't need to fear other people. Maybe your heart has been stirred to tithe, to give to your faith family. But you don't know where that extra money is going to come from. You've gone over the budgets, and you just don't know where the money is going to come from. How are the bills going to get paid? If we write this check, we might not have enough at the end of the month to pay the credit card bill, and then this leads to this, and we have to have control of our finances. Be patient. God is working on you. God loves you. He will show you the way. Be patient as you wait for the answer to your prayers. Trust God. In God's greatness, His power, He loves you very, very much. We don't need to be in control because He is and He loves us. And give thanks. Give thanks. Or maybe you're like me and your heart aches because this week a friend at work tragically died. Be patient. Because if your friend or family member who passed away, your spouse, your child, we know that they believe in Jesus, that they trust Him, even if only in their final moments. And we wait because we will see them again. Trust in God's grace. No one earns their way into heaven. He just grants it as a gift. And give thanks for the time that you did have with them and the legacy they leave behind. One final thought. Palm Sunday is to celebrate the triumphant entry of Jesus into Jerusalem the people who gathered around him very shortly after this man gave away his donkey, I mean within hours, the people who gathered around him believed that he would establish an earthly kingdom, kick out the Romans, and establish order in Jerusalem and surrounding cities. That's not what he came here to do. They kind of got it wrong. Interestingly enough, the reason we celebrate this scriptural and biblical historical event is because From 30-odd A.D. all the way for about the next 300 years, Christianity, Christians were persecuted. The Romans fed Christians to lions, right? They were lion food. They were blood sport. And right around 325 A.D., the Roman Emperor Constantine set the church free and said, we will allow people to be Christian in the Roman Empire. He set them free. It was an earthly freedom that he granted. And so what happened was the church, the Christian church in Jerusalem, got really excited and they decided to reenact the triumphant entry of Jesus into Jerusalem, from Bethphage into Jerusalem. And so they reenacted this with palm branches and the whole works. And it became a tradition that we celebrate today, 1700 years later. It's a reminder that each and every time God shows up, He establishes His kingdom. His kingdom is advanced. He declares and reveals His lordship over that part of your heart, that part of your life, that part of your friends' and family members' hearts and lives. He establishes His kingdom and reminds us that we are free to say, Hosanna in the highest. Amen? Pray with me if you would. Heavenly Father, we thank you so very much for being a God who loves us. We feel your warm embrace. It is like the noonday sun. You remind us of these moments, but Lord, I pray, because this is earth and not heaven, these feelings do fade. And I pray that you strengthen and encourage us. Remind us of the promises that you make that you hold each one of us dear. Remind us that we are the body of Christ and we can see your face in the faces of our friends and family. Make a home in our hearts so that as we are tempted and tested with boldness and confidence, we can say, the Lord needs it.